what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Mainline Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Burton. No Adam or Corbin this evening. The boys have got the night off. But tonight, it's a special edition of the Mainline Podcast. We're diving into enemy territory, welcoming on a couple of guys that were once enemies. Well, I guess they're still enemies of, if you're an Oklahoma fan, but soon to be fellow members of the Southeastern Conference. It's our pleasure to be joined by J.B. Moss and Ross Lee. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Doing great, TB. Thanks for having us. Yeah, doing good. Casual Thursday. There you go. There you go. Well, uh, again, just kind of want to kick things off. Uh, good having you boys on. There's probably not three more diehard college football fans than the three guys that are on this podcast right now. So, uh, you know, JB, just kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, why, who you're a fan of, kind of what your allegiances lie to, and then, Ross, you do the same. Yeah, my allegiance uh, lies with the Aggies, man. Um, I actually grew up a big Texas fan. Uh, my base ball career had other ideas. I actually ended up uh, playing baseball at Texas A&M and um, was a huge fan of college football when I was at A&M. Good buddy of mine, Johnny Football, uh, was there during my time. But I really didn't really get into it until after I graduated. So um, it's kind of been my passion since, you know, I have a regular day job now. So I'm super into the program and try to be in the know as much as I can and definitely very passionate about it. Yeah, and I'm uh, Ross Lee. Uh, I went to Ole Miss, didn't play any sports. I actually grew up an Aggie fan, unfortunately. But uh, ended up my school took me other places to the good old University of Mississippi. Uh, I've been a Dyer fan ever since. Anyone that knows me knows that I've lived and died by football growing up. It's been a big part of my life. So know the in and outs, try to keep very up to date with it. And uh, I'm excited for what this season holds. Last year was exciting. Hopefully this year can live up to the hype. Well, we are nine days away from kickoff, and I believe it's 17 days away from the three of our teams getting things going, uh, kicking off the 2022 season. So, guys, let's just kind of dive into We've got a wide range of topics we're going to dive into. Uh, I want to start with the impact of NIL. Um, this is one that I've been looking forward to. Obviously, uh, JB having you on, Texas A&M, just coming off the greatest recruiting class of all time that was uh, – uh, kind of result of, I guess, an eight and four season. We'll dive into that, Ross. Uh, but do want to kind of start things off. It's been pretty well known that Brent Venables, Lane Kiffin, especially and Jimbo Fisher, have made their comments on what they feel about uh, how NIL is impacting the world of college football. You know, I feel like all three of us have our mixed feelings on it. Uh, but Ross, just kind of kicking things off with you. Lane Kiffin's been one of the biggest proponents of, I guess, changes within the NIL landscape. Um, kind of feels like. NIL is not being used right now for what it was originally set out to do. Kind of feel like um, originally when the idea was brought about, it was kind of, uh, you know, players being compensated for, you know, efforts that they provide to a fan base, a service, and now it just kind of feels like it's a pay-for-play, basically doing whatever you can to uh, we'll sweeten the pot for you to come play for my school as opposed to somebody else. So, Ross, uh, NIL, man, what do you think as an Ole Miss fan? I'm excited about it. Uh, it does open a lot of doors. Uh, it's, I think a lot of people, a lot of the high school recruits are going to fall through the crack in regards to like the little three stars and whatnot. Diamonds in the rough should be better to kind of equalize playing fields. Uh, as far as the NIL portion, I mean, we've kind of seen how it goes uh, with the first year. I mean, schools with the money are going to be able to bring in studs. I mean, no offense, but look at what Texas A&M did. I mean, they They've got the funds. They've got the – and that's nothing against their program. It just shows the dedication they have for the money coming in, and they're using it the right way. Uh, I mean, an old, an old Miss, we, we're there. I mean, we're top 25 on valuation of a school for sports. So, I mean, we, we can compete, but 
there's those high-level people like Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, A&M uh, that are Miami now uh, that are able to kind of throw the throw the change around and and until there's some regulations put in place, I think they're going to dominate the recruiting field and kind of have their pick at those high-level players. Yeah, and JB, throwing this over to you, um, I know that one of the things that always gets brought up in this, you know, in the group chat is you know the the thirty million dollar mark, and I, I think that one of the things until the NCAA or, you know, a third party decides that they want to regulate NIL and, you know, put some rules in place, try to provide a little bit more structure, then uh, well done, Texas A&M and other programs around the school. Whatever it is, unless the NCAA is going to regulate this, you might as well take advantage of it while you can and sign as many as you guys and try to incentivize as many of these high school recruits to come play for your school as possible. Yeah, I I think that – I have a lot of thoughts on NIL, and they're all over the board. But what I will agree with you and Ross on is that, unfortunately, I feel like NIL is being used for not what it was intended for. Um, Like you said, it's more of like a, hey, come here and you'll get X instead of, you know, be a third-year guy and a starter in the program, be a All-American, and look what you've earned. You know, and instead, it's kind of all on the front end, it feels like. But, you know, two things as far as Texas A&M is concerned. Number one, what do you expect the big boys to do? Like, you're going to open Pandora's box with no regulations. What do you think they're going to do? You know, and, and from, from a Texas A&M fan listening to Lane Kiffin, it's like, well, you can hope in one hand and shit in the other because it's like the big dogs are going to big dog either way. And there wasn't a salary cap before NIL. I mean, call it Saban, call it uh, Pete Carroll, call it Bob Stoops, call it whoever you want. There was no salary cap on what they were paying players to come to their universities before NIL. So I just think it's it's tricky and it's unfortunate that the NCAA doesn't have a backbone in, you know, like I said, just open Pandora's box because how do you put the cat back in the bag now? And so, unfortunately, I, I hear his concern and I sympathize with a school like Ole Miss because, in my opinion, we can talk about OU later, but in my opinion, Ole Miss is a have. Ole Miss is not a have not. But Ole Miss doesn't have the financial support and stability like a Texas A&M or a Texas. And so it does kind of put them behind the eight ball when it comes to high-level four-star and five-star recruits. So I do feel him in that there is a disadvantage but hasn't that always been the case? If that's directed at me. I mean, we can refer back to the Hugh Freeze days. I mean, we sat there and put together a number five class in the nation. So, I mean, it's we were able. And I don't to- think I think it's well documented that wasn't free. Uh, hey, nothing has been free. I mean, if we talk about there's, there's been under the table stuff all, all over the place in regards to it's not like anything's changed. It's just a little more known at this point with what's right. been, yeah. in my opinion. And listen, listen. I am a. I would like to think of myself as a realistic Texas A&M fan. What kind of bugs the fans and bugs the insiders is that why does it have to be thirty million? Because some guy behind a message board said thirty million. What if he said fifteen million? What if he said a hundred million? Would everyone take it off and run with a hundred? I mean, just because the numbers out there, and I have it on very good very good accord that it's nowhere near 30 million which doesn't even matter it's irrelevant at this point but 
I agree with both of you in that, unfortunately, it's not being used for what it was intended to be used for. And I just don't know how you get away from that unless, you know, some type of other entity steps in, like you said. I mean, and just to put something out there, I mean, we're talking about all these, I mean, Power Five, mega conference type OU, then multiple playoffs, Texas A&M. I mean, they've done what they've done over the last year and a half. I mean, they have a ton of hype. I mean, we're not talking about what, you know, let's look and see what Deion's, uh, Deion Smith's doing, or excuse mm-hmm. me. Uh, yeah. Sanders. Yeah, Deion Sanders, excuse me. And Deion Smith was the recruit that we wanted. <clears throat> but, I mean, Jackson State's over here hauling in five stars. So, I mean, it's there. I mean, other, other schools mm-hmm. have the same opportunity to give the money out there. So, it's not just one program. Everyone's kind of got that fair balance. It just comes to the amount of money that's being able to be handed out, I guess. It- it almost kind of feels like if if we're not going to regulate it, then we need to get to a point where all of these NIL deals need to be made public. It needs to be you know public record. Um, I will say you know Ross, you alluded to the fact that NIL is you know it's it's impacting high school football recruits, but then it's also impacting guys in the transfer portal. You're basically because of NIL being able because of certain programs being able to um, put certain offers out there to try and incentivize a kid to maybe go from Alabama to Georgia or take a guy like Jordan Addison, for example, Bolitnikoff winner, best receiver, um, you know, one of the best receivers in pit history. Um, he gets an NIL offer. Now he jumps ship and he's playing at USC this year. So it's going to be very hold on TB. And in my opinion, I don't mean to cut you off, but in my opinion, it's way worse in the transfer portal than it is with high school recruits because those guys are oh, proven. Yeah. Absolutely, and and I think that the transfer portal, which uh, get both of your guys' thoughts on this, it, it almost kind of feels like the the transfer portal is the wild wild west because you've got programs like A and M or in Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma is one. Um, the transfer portal really allows you to you know bypass bring in a true freshman, you know three four five star recruit. You can go poach you know a player that's uh, maybe more proven at another school, bring him in, and that immediately you know plugs a gap that you've got, and that could be the difference between you. Uh, you know, winning a conference championship and winning a national championship. So, but I don't know whether it's NCAA. I don't know whether it's a third party that's got to get involved. It kind of feels like, you know, if you read the article that Pete Thamel tweeted out yesterday, it kind of feels like we're on the verge of college football kind of branching out from the NCAA. There's so much money involved. Everybody wants a piece of it. It kind of feels like we're uh, we're leaning towards college football being its own entity and not a part of the NCAA, which is fascinating in its own. I love it. Same. I mean, I think that's what's have, what has to happen at this point. I mean, How does, the, the transfer portal and NIL, neither one of them are being used for what they were intended to be used for. Listen, the transfer portal is about players. It, it, it should have been about the player. And it should have been about, okay, I signed to a staff. I signed to a school. I get there. It's not what I thought it'd be. I'm not happy. Maybe my position coach leaves. In my opinion, let him transfer once without having to sit out a year because – these coaching changes and the pressure and the, it changes daily. I mean, it changes in the middle of seasons. I mean, I'm all about for the players, but stuff like poaching, that is not cool. I mean, you're going to take Pittsburgh's best player and while he's on the team as a, as a grown man on a college football staff, you're going to poach that kid and say, Hey, look what I can do for you. Like you can't even do that in the NFL. I mean, it's just crazy. Jameer Gibbs, another example of that with Alabama, running back for Georgia Tech. Yep. I mean, see the talent there. Well, hey, come play for us. We need to fill a spot. We feel like you can fill that spot. 
And there it is. I mean, it's, and who's going to tell and, – and Ross Lee's a running back at Georgia Tech and Bama comes calling. You going to pick up the phone? Yeah, absolutely. Or if you're Jordan Addison and you're starting quarterback, just graduated, went to the NFL – you don't, you know, you don't really know what's going to be coming up behind him. But hey, here's a here's a chance to go out to Southern California and catch passes from Caleb Williams in a Lincoln Riley offense. Of course, you're going to take that phone call and, and take that offer seriously. Uh, but guys, let's transition. I do want to touch bases. I mentioned it, you know, when we opened up the podcast. OU in Texas to the SEC that is happening. Still not sure how I feel. I'm more excited than anything. Uh, but I know that some changes are going to be happening in both Austin and Norman, uh, and some expectations are going to have to change with both programs. So whether that happens in 2023, 24, 25, JB, starting with you on this one, outside of the uptick in competition, what else should, I guess for this podcast specific, what else should OU fans look forward to about being in the SEC? I mean, just – It's different. It's the best of the best. I mean – Listen, I was listening to a press conference from Jim Schlossnagel, who's the new head baseball coach at Texas A&M while in Omaha. And he's talking about the it just means more slogan. And for everyone outside of the SEC, that seems a bit he was quoted as saying that sounds a bit elitist. Right. And it sounds kind of, you know, just like, really, you know, could you be any more arrogant? And it's hard to explain when you're not in it, but it's just so important to so many people it's such a big deal, and it's just there's not a bigger stage. And, it's not, and, and what I love about it is it's not a big stage on September 3rd and then a letdown September 11th. It's a big stage every single week. And if you don't bring it and you go 11 a.m. in Lexington, Kentucky, and you don't have your A game, you're going to get your ass kicked. And then guess what? You're going to come home the next week, and then you got Ole Miss at home. And then you got at Auburn. And then you got Bama. And it's just – you just don't realize what you're getting yourselves into. But it's just a lot of fun. I mean, even even in the rough years – listen, even in the eight and four years and the roller coaster for me, it's a lot of fun. And it's just every Saturday, it's it's the most important thing. And uh, I don't know how else to describe it. It just – it's the biggest stage and it's so much fun. And the cities and the people and just – it's Southern hospitality, man, and it's just – it's a blast. And, and Ross and I look forward to it every Saturday. To kind of piggyback off that, I think it's funny you mentioned eight and four, but I'll just that <laughs> that We'll save that for a little bit. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, to kind of piggyback off what JB said, I mean, it's a totally different level. I mean, it just is. As much as everyone wants to say that they're on the same plane, you don't have a Kansas on the schedule. You don't have a Kansas State that comes into town or a Texas Tech – you don't know what you're going to get. Those are six and six programs. I mean, Kansas is a two win. I think they're over over under win totals one and a half. It's like you don't have those games. You come in, you have to have your A game, or yeah. you're like JB said you're going to get your ass kicked. Right. And I mean, I think what y'all need to be excited for is it's going to bring a whole different level of excitement to y'all's game day to Norman. I think it's going to bring a ton of revenue that y'all have never seen before in regards to travel for fans that come. I mean, the SEC travels. You're going to get to hit all these known spots. I mean, Death Valley, you're going to get hit T-Town, Athens, if you get them out of the East, however they set up with pods or East, West. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just a whole different type of level. I mean, and, and like JB said, I mean, you're not going to go in there and it's not going to be super tenseful and fans are going to be assholes. It's going to be 
fun. Everyone's going to be there, have a good time. When when it gets close to kickoff, yeah, stuff gets a little. Everyone's like, all right, let's get it going. We're getting in the stadium. Let's let's get the let's get the ball kicked off and let's get yeah. this going. But up to that, I mean, you're going to see a whole different level of kind of excitement, and I guess I mean a whole different level of tailgating and and just experience for game day that I don't think y'all have ever seen, to be honest. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that's got me the most excited about is, you know, every single year in this this uh, this one, especially when the Oklahoma schedule comes out and I've got to look forward to when I buy my season tickets, I've got to look forward to watching fucking Kansas come to town, Kansas State, you know, Kent State, UTEP. Whereas once you go into the SEC, like you were talking about, JB, you're going to go to College Station one weekend. That's five, six hours down the road. I'll be there. Then I get to come back home. Uh, and take on Ole Miss, or and then the following weekend, we're you know we're hopping back on the road again, going to Death Valley at night. So um, it, it is one thing, and uh, that is also I think going to be kind of a culture shock for OU fans. I'm not sure what it's like in Texas as far as the tailgating scene goes. Um, I don't know if you guys have been paying attention, you know, on social media and in the news over the last 24 hours, but I know that the University of Oklahoma recently made some changes within the last day or so to their tailgating policies that are. Not quite fan friendly, um, kind of privatizing it, trying to make as much money off of it. You know, basically catering to the businesses, the corporate corporations of the world, which I completely get. It's a money driven business, but when you look at see what Oklahoma does at tailgating, and then you just Google the Grove, you Google Texas A and M, you Google LSU recruiting or uh, tailgating, it's an entirely different ball game. That you know, one is fans, but then I also think as an OU administration. There's levels to this when it comes to uh, fan base, uh, you know, being as passionate as they are in the buy-in collectively. And I think that that's something that OU and Texas fans are going to have to get ready for because that's going to be a pretty big jump. Cool. Well, in OU's defense, and, and OU's defense, they don't know what they don't know, right? And so right. until you go to the 13 other spots in the SEC until you're a few years in, you're not going to rip. Like tailgating isn't an all-day thing. It's a night-before thing. Like these people come and they're setting up Friday night and they're taking down Saturday night, you know, at midnight. Like it's just pointing back to my point earlier. It's like it's an it's important to so many people. And I feel like that's kind of the separator. It's like this is a big deal to, you know, in Texas A&M, this is a big deal to, you know, half a million former students. I mean, it's just it matters to a lot of people. And, um, you know, oh, you oh, you will will adapt or die. And, you know, those are really your two choices. Ross, just kind of throw this over to you, because like I said, one of the biggest one of the biggest things that's been on social media over the last 24 hours has been OU uh, trying to monetize tailgating, especially the, you know, the premier uh, areas close to the stadium, reserving those for businesses and corporations that want to buy those areas. Um, what what is the what does the growth look like? Is it entirely fan setup? Is there like a, a private company that charges stuff out like that? Because I mean, we've all seen the videos, you know, wh- whether it's, you know, SEC down south, Bob does sports, put stuff out. Uh, if you haven't seen the Bob does sports, Ole Miss video, highly recommend checking it out. You'll see somebody chugging a beer. Uh, but just t- talk to me about Oxford and, and the Grove and what makes it so special that uh, OU fans should look forward to when making that trip up there. I mean, um, I don't, I'm not sure how many students are, you know, you are in Norman, or I know that UNM has, what, 87,000. I mean, there's 17,000 people who go to University of Mississippi. Oxford's fully revenue-driven off kind of the college. I mean, that town, I mean, if Ole Miss wasn't there, it'd just be another bum town in Mississippi. No offense. It's just kind of what it is. And, I mean, when you get there, I mean, there's – 
you get you, the square. I mean, the Grove is right in the middle of everything. It's right in the middle of the university. It's right by the stadium. Uh, the night before, everyone waits. They have lines kind of t- lined off, and you you can buy companies to kind of re- reserve a tent for you, or you have fraternities, sororities that kind of do that themselves. That they send out people to go do that, and you, you get the setup. And I mean, it's. I mean, we went for the AM game last year. I think they said there was over a hundred thousand people in the Grove. I mean, it's a Jesus Christ. It's something that's unheard of. It's something I can't describe unless you're there. But once you get there, I mean, it's it's it'll change your life, and it's mm-hmm. a big reason on why I went to Ole Miss and when changes for the world. I mean, it's an experience like no other. Cool. Well, before we let's kind of dive into the expectations for the season. Before we talk about the SEC West, um, which is kind of where you know college football—that's where the bread and butter is. Uh, I want to talk to you guys about Texas just for a second because you guys are both plugged in. Uh, I don't hear as much of it uh, being here in Norman, but you guys both you know living in Dallas. I'm sure that you know Longhorn Nation, especially this time of year with talking season going on, everybody's fired up. Quinn Ewers, the savior. Uh, you know he's, he's that's not going to play, by the way. Well, that's and that's kind of what I was ta- was was uh, <laughs> wanting to talk to you guys about because it kind of feels to me, especially with them losing that starting offensive lineman. Chances are, when Bama rolls in in week two, Texas is going to have at least two, maybe three true freshmen on that offensive line. Which, if you're if you're Will Anderson, you're you're licking your chops. So, uh, call me crazy, but uh, does Hudson Card start the first couple of weeks, get his ass kicked against Bama, and then uh, Quinn Ewers as the savior will roll with him the rest of the way? I mean, I'm not going to take the Texas A&M message boards as gospel when it comes to the University of Texas football and what they're going to do. But that's certainly what the tea leaves are saying. Um, you know, it's being reported that Quinn turns the ball over way too much. I think that, you know, that Patrick Mahomes-esque arm can kind of get him in trouble, you know, if he's too cocky or, you know, not reading the progression correctly. But, you know, it's just I, – I mean, it's Texas, right? That's the most Texas thing I've ever heard of. You get this savior, this number one player of all time, and all indications are it's not going to play for you. And it's just – it's Texas, man. I mean, what are you going to say? I mean, that talent's never been the issue. Nope. Ever. Ever. And it never will be. It never should be. There's just – there's something deeper there that's been going on for the past decade plus now that none of us can put our finger on. And – you can call it culture, you can call it arrogance, you can call it whatever you want to call it, but it's something that can't be fixed by just talent and and by rotating coaches in there. So I'm fascinated to see what happens within this year because, you know, just until they prove you wrong, aren't they just going to be Texas? Yeah, I've got to see it to believe it. I mean – well, I mean, what else can you say? They've been down since Mac Brown left. They thought Charlie Strong was going to do it. They thought Tom Herman was going to be the the one to bring him out. Steve Sarkeesian, I, I understand the the hype that was around him when they brought him in from Austin or brought him in from Tuscaloosa. But I mean, guys, between you and me, when you've got Alabama skill talent, you and I, and you know Ross, I mean, you and I, we, we could we could win seven eight games at Alabama calling plays with that type of elite talent. So. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. You know, being an Ole Miss, especially Texas A&M, and as an Oklahoma fan, uh, there's no team that I root, that I uh, cheer for less uh, and root for their demise more than the University of Texas. Well, Ross, let's start it off with you, man. Um, Ole Miss, what uh, can, can we do it two years in a row? Can the Lane Train keep it rolling uh, now that Matt Corral is uh, off to the NFL and uh, you got another SEC brutal schedule in front of you? 
Um, I, I believe we can. I am going to put my two cents in here. It's about Texas and just yeah. yeah let's hear it. They're a five and seven team coming into the program with the same amount of hype they always have. I mean, until they do something, it's very relevant to me. They're a team that lost to Kansas, and that's that. I mean, I'm going to move on from them because until they do something and put something on the field and can win some games, I'll go to a bowl. Then we can talk about them. But until then, yeah. five and seven irrelevant. All right, Ross. Record uh, record prediction for the Longhorns. I've got them going seven and five. TB. I've got him going. Uh, I I got him going eight and four, and that's the ag. <laughs> we'll get we'll get to that here in a second. Dude, those those wheels can come off quick. I agree. I agree, and I think that points back to the culture, dude. Think about this, boys. Lose Bijan, or lose another lineman, or lose another receiver against Bama, and you're sitting at one and one. I can see those wheels coming off in a hurry. Are we sure Bijan plays the entire season? I mean, oh. if they're if they are four and four, he's not. You opt out. I mean, why well, why wouldn't you? I'm, I'm I mean, he's an he's an extraordinary talent. And and here's the thing about Bijan: can he stay healthy? I mean, I saw something on Twitter today. He's up to two hundred twenty pounds, which I'm not sure is a good thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not sure that gaining weight is the answer. So, you know. I, He's an incredible talent. He's, you know, arguably the best running back in college football. But, you know, can he stay healthy? And will he want to play when they get punched in the mouth? Because they will. Well, I mean, you just go down and look at their schedule. Louisiana Monroe to start things out. They're going to beat them. Alabama, I think we can all probably pretty confident to say they're one on one coming out of that. UTSA, uh, that's no, that's not a gimme uh, with the offense that the runners have. But I mean, at Tech, West Virginia, OU. And then you kind of close out the year at Oklahoma State, at K-State, Baylor, TCU, at Kansas, which Kansas, that's not a gimme either. Uh, if there's one team that can, that can speak on interesting, that. It's interesting hearing you rattle off that schedule because like it always happens, when you read that, when you read that schedule, I think they have one loss going to the Cotton Bowl and their whole season's predicated on what happens in Dallas and the Cotton Bowl. They lose that game, I could definitely see the wheels coming off. They win that game. They're in the Big 12 schedule. Maybe they find some mojo, and maybe they turn it around. But I think the season's predicated on Dallas. That's a good point. Uh, Ross, let's transition over here to the SEC West. Um, is it is it as simple as what everybody thinks it's going to be? Is it going to be chalk in the SEC, Alabama versus Georgia and Atlanta? Or do you think there's maybe a team or two, whether it's the Rebels, the Aggies, or uh, maybe even the Tennessee Volunteers that can make an impact on this? I'm out on the – the volunteers, so I'll just go and scratch that one off. But I mean, unfortunately, I mean, you got to piss off Alabama team that is going to come in. I mean, everyone expects them to do exactly what they do every year: bounce back from a loss in the national championship on a so-called down year by Nick. Yeah. Which is a bullshit comment, by the way. It's it's just, I mean, as much as I don't want to say it, I hope there's some surprises. But I mean, the only reason I have a any type of hope that they won't that won't be the SEC title game is because I just saw that picture of uh, Drake with uh, the Bama shirt on. So maybe the curse hits them and uh, let's and go. Hey, never know. The curse could be real. But I mean, as unfortunate as it is, that that's who I do have in the SEC championship. As much as I want to have Ole Miss and I have money on them to win it all, win it all, and win SC like I'm going to do every year. It's it's just it's Bama. And that's, that's just all I can really say. I mean, they just reload, and they reload with a different type of talent that's ever been seen. And, I mean, I saw that tweet of what 
Saban's coaching staff was. Mm-hmm. And if you look yeah. at it, it's like, I mean, there's six guys that are at dominant programs now that are head coaches. It's like, that's just what he does. I mean, he brings in the best talent, brings in the best resources for coaches and just has a well oiled machine over there. So as much as I don't want it to happen, I mean, I feel like it's Bama's year and we're just going to kind of live by it. Ross, I'm not sure what the over-under is set on Vegas for total wins for Ole Miss this year, but just going down and look at their schedule, pretty pretty favorable schedule, I mean, for the most part. I mean, this favorable. Is favorable? I've been giving him so much shit about that schedule. Hell, they could sleepwalk to 6-0. and The Brook Hill guard could go 6-0 and on the Rebs' first six. I mean, give me a break. <laughs> I mean, it is I'm just giving him a hard time, but uh, go ahead, Ross. I mean, it is favorable. I mean, that's why I have us going 10-2 and two this year with losses to Bama and LSU. Um, I have uh, us going 6-0. and oh. I mean, if it's last year, we have a ton of – as you know, we lost wow. Max Ralph, who is basically the engine of our team. It was a dude that we hadn't seen before that had a competitive nature that was just kind of put you in awe. And, I mean, we have to replace all three of our running backs, our three best receivers. Uh, we have a, a linebackers that could be – uh, very slim, losing Mark Robinson and Chance Campbell to the draft. Um, but that's where the portal comes in. I mean, y'all saw what we did. We had the number two portal. We replaced mm-hmm. – so I think we had 17 transfers come in. Uh, our back end of our defense is going to be the power of our team. We have one of the best offensive lines coming in uh, with five starters in depth. We replaced all three running backs with Ulysses Bentley, who led the American Conference in rushing. Uh, we have Zach Evans, which we all know what he's capable yeah. of. Five star coming out of Dallas or excuse me, Houston area. And I mean, it's just, I mean, I, I see us, I, I see it come. If it's, if, a, if it's a last year schedule, I was going seven and five. I mean, we have, we have Bama early this year. We got them late on a bye. I mean, we, I see us, we, we get through the first four games. We're four and oh, no, no problems. Maybe a little bit of a slow getting going since a bunch of new guys meshing. Uh, we get to Kentucky, who's no pushover. A lot of people have them competing in the East. I think we get by that game. And yeah, that we, one, that one guy today had Kentucky going eleven and one this year. He's high. Morning, during. Uh, no, yes, on SEC Network. Yeah, that guy's an idiot. Yeah, eleven and one, at, winning at Alabama. Yeah, I mean that's just go. unheard of. But, but Ross, if you, if if you've got uh, if you've got Ole Miss going ten and two with losses to LSU and Alabama, that means you think pretty highly of the Rebels because that means that they're going to go on the road and win in College Station and in Fayetteville, uh, which is no small feat. Yeah, I I, I unfortunately think uh, there's a little too much hype behind Arkansas this year. If you look, they, I think they lost ten starters on defense, which was the strength of their team last year. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I just think that. They're just a little too hyped up. I think they're going to be a seven and five, eight and four team. They'll win some games they're not supposed to win, but they're going to lose a couple games they're not supposed to. Not not supposed to lose. And in regards to A and M, I mean, I'll be there. I'm never going to say we're going to lose the A and M because I don't think we will. I've grown up an Aggie fan. I grew up an Aggie fan, like I said. I know the ins and outs of that program just like that. And I just, I'm not a believer in them until they put something on the field in regards of the quarterback spectrum. If they have someone that comes out and starts balling, Hayes, Hayes King or what, Miles Brennan, whoever whoever comes out and plays for them and can put production on the field, then you know what? I'll, I'll eat my words. But I don't think we have a problem running in. I don't think we're going to have any problems running into 107,000 people and going in there and getting a W in college station. Mm-hmm. 
JB, I've said from the get-go, and it, it kind of feels like this could be, you know, this could be said for the last two to three years in College Station. It kind of feels like A and M is a quarterback away from eleven and one, maybe twelve and zero. To me, this year, especially for the for Jimbo and the Aggies, if they can get the right fit at quarterback this year and he can play extremely well, I think that's the difference between an eight and four season and an eleven and one type year for the Aggies. Because all around, top to bottom, that roster, that's one of the most talented rosters in all football. I think you could probably make the case. Uh, it's easily top three or four with Alabama, Georgia, and even Ohio State. Yeah, I would definitely agree with you. Um, I think that's been the case, like you said, for the past, past two, 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 yeah, I'd say past two years in College Station. Um, if you're talking Texas A&M prediction in my book, I'm going with 10 and two. Um, I'll also say that we're in year five of Jimbo Fisher, so anything less than 10 and two at this point is going to be considered not good enough, be considered a failure. Um you hire a national championship head coach from Florida State, you're five years in, that should be the standard and the expectation at Texas A&M. So to hit on what both you guys said, I think if we get the quarterback right, I think the sky's the limit for the program. I, You know, look, anybody that's realistic, I mean, unless you have the best, the second best team in college football, you go on the road to Bama, you're going to go ahead and chalk yourself up an L for that game. You look at the rest of our schedule, we play Miami at home week three. We play App State at home week two. And then we have the rest of an SEC gauntlet. I mean, how can you expect them to go undefeated, you know, through the rest of that schedule? So whether it's Ole Miss or whether it's, you know, on the road at a tricky South Carolina or LSU, Auburn, you name it, um, I see the Aggies dropping one more game and, and going 10-2 and two and going to a New Year's Six Bowl for the second time in three years. So – um, and then, you know, everyone has kind of had their eye, you know, on 2023 because that's really when this whole thing should should really come together. So it's an exciting time at A&M, and I just hope they get the quarterback right. JB, obviously, if you were if you were pulling the strings at A&M right now, is it Haynes Keen game one? Is it Max Johnson? Or since you kind of have a couple weeks, same Houston State, App State to get going, Connor Wigman obviously has, you know, the, the most upside. He's got the highest ceiling as a player with what he can do at that position. Um, where does Jimbo go to start things off? Because you got to get things rolling by week three when the Hurricanes come into town. Well, all indications are that Haynes King is going to be the guy for week one. Um, and, and that's the way I would look, too. I mean, you're talking about an East Texas kid, a coach's son, that's third year in Jimbo Fisher's program. He knows the offense like the back of his hand at this point. He's extremely athletic, and he's just got to get better throwing the football. So, you know, I'm going to trust Jimbo Fisher and his his ability to develop quarterbacks and, you know, frankly, make, you know, quarterbacks way higher draft picks than they should be, in my opinion. So I'm, uh, I'm excited to see Haynes' development, and certainly all indications are that Haynes King will be the guy. I think that – this day and age, starting a true freshman at quarterback is pretty tricky, especially in the hardest conference, you know, in college football. So I think you give Wegman a year, you um, roll with Haynes, and then, you know, you have a hard time arguing with me that we don't have the best backup quarterback in college football, you know, in Max Johnson. So find me a better backup and I'll listen. But the quarterback room is in great hands at A&M for the first time in a while, as it should be. Um, very disappointed in Zach Calzada last year. Um, you know, and speaking from a realistic Texas A&M fan perspective, everybody's like, in regards to last year, well, A&M lost their starting quarterback. Okay, well, didn't Jimbo Fisher recruit Zach Calzada also? Like, 
it's not like that wasn't his pick, you know. And so just a little frustrated with, you know, how the season shook out at the quarterback position. And I understand he's a backup, but he's also, you know, being tough on Jimbo. He's also a guy that Jimbo Fisher recruited as well. So um, just, you know, super excited and, and really want them to, to get the quarterback position right for the first time really since Johnny football. Max Johnson being the best backup quarterback in college football. Ross, you really don't have anything to say about that? I, I'm going to let that one slide. I, I mean, I got through 28 touchdowns and six picks in the <laughs> SEC and over 3,000 yards. Find me a find me one and I'll listen. Is it Dart at Ole Miss, Ross? That yeah, I was going to go into that. I kind of just that kind of slipped my mind, which I mean that should be a number one topic of Ole Miss replacing Matt Corral, who was the engine that made us go and get 10 wins for the first time last year. Um, I mean, we have a huge competition going. To be uh, to be frank, uh, it looked like Luke Altmaier was had his hands and fists completely in control of the QB job until the scrimmage that took place last Saturday where Dart went 16 for 20 for 258 and two touchdowns. Looked like the guy that we thought he could be. Everyone has him as a high talent, but everyone forgets that Luke Altmaier was also a high four-star. I think he was the number 13th or 17th quarterback in the nation out of Starkville. Yeah. And, I mean, I think uh, I think that we have a big uh, – I think we have a positive in our hands is that we have an early season – kind of get these guys meshing, kind of see who's going to be that guy and make those plays. Because you can only see so much against the same defense and the same repetitive scheme when you're playing the same guys in practice. So when you get on the field against different type, types of talent and you see who's the gamer, I think that's really where we're going to see a place. And I think it'll go into the season as unfortunate as it is. I think we'll see both guys running through week two and should have a starter name by Georgia Tech in week three. It's going to be my prediction. And I would I would say the, the ceiling is going to be dark because I think that that's where we're going to be able to see a different level because he has a different type of talent on the arm side and with his legs. Cool. Well, guys, let's dive into our conference predictions here. Um, I kind of put mine out on, on last night's episode of, of the podcast. Feel free to check that out. But uh, also going to do the same and join you guys on here as well. Uh, let's go alphabetically here, starting in the ACC. Ross, Throwing it over to you, man. Uh, which two teams are playing in the conference championship, and who wins the uh, ACC? So I just took winners. So I'll have to uh, get back to you on who's going to be playing in that. But I mean, All I'm right, going to be here with Clemson. I know there's a lot of hype this, uh, with NC State and with Miami, but I really think uh, there's going to be a nice bounce back with DJ over there, and I think uh, I think they're a double digit win team in 2023 or 2023 2023. JB? Yeah, I'm going to agree with Ross on this one. I think that, you know, until someone can prove to us that Clemson's not the team, you know, you got to roll with Clemson. I, I heard both of their lines of scrimmage are very, very talented. Um, and I think they have a good – I think they have a good, not great situation at quarterback. I think DJ either figures it out or I'm telling you right now, that kid from Westlake is the truth. So, you know, they're in a good spot at quarterback. Their line play, their, their previous track record, I mean – Everyone acts like they fell off a cliff. They won nine or ten games last year, didn't they? So uh, I'm rolling with the Tigers for the ACC. Yeah, I actually gave a bold prediction last night. I don't think DJ finishes the year as the starting quarterback at Clemson. I think Cato. I really don't think it's that bold, to be honest with you. I mean, yeah. I, I I couldn't agree with you more. So well, I mean, Clemson's. I think that probably a pretty safe bet with Will Shipley running back. That's probably the best running back in the ACC this year. Like you talked about with the defensive line, 
between Murphy, Brees, Davis, and Thomas, you know, all four guys are going to be playing on Sunday in the not-so-distant future. But, yeah, until I see it, I know there's a lot of hype uh, behind NC State with Devin Leary. There was a lot of hype about Wake Forest, uh, but unfortunately Sam Hartman's going to be out for an extended amount of time. Clemson goes to Wake in week four. That game looks uh, sounds like it's lost a little bit of its lackluster. But, yeah, I've got Clemson going as well for the same reasons as you guys. Until somebody knocks them off, I'm going to keep picking them every single year. Let's move on to the Big Ten Conference. JB, starting with you. This kind of feels like feels like chalk again. It's got to be the Buckeyes, right? It's either Buckeyes or the Wolverines, in my opinion, and I give the edge to the Buckeyes all day long. I'm not a big Harbaugh fan. I think he's a bit just outdated, um, to put it kindly. Um, yeah, I'm rolling with the Buckeyes, man. I love Brian Hartline, what he's doing in that receiver position. I wish he'd quit taking receivers out of the state of Texas, but – Extremely impressed with their skill, talent, their ability to develop the quarterback position is very advanced. I'm a big Ryan Day fan. Um, what's that guy? What's their strength coach's name? Mickey, I think. Uh, he's been around forever. And just the Buckeyes are going to be Buckeyes, man. And um, I'm going to chalk that to Ohio yeah. State. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some question marks on the Buckeyes defense this year, you know, led by first-year defensive coordinator Jim Knowles. Um, everybody from around here knows that uh, Buckeyes were able to pull him away from Stillwater and Mike Gundy. Ohio State was very, very bad on defense a year ago, especially on the back end. And, you know, they're going to get tested right out of the gate week one against Notre Dame when they visit the shoe. But I like Ohio State a lot this year. Quarterback, wide receiver, running back, they've got the best player at that position in the entire conference. The defense is going to be better. They've got a really talented uh, uh, group of offensive linemen. I don't think anybody in the Big Ten can hang with C.J. Stroud for four quarters in that uh, Buckeye offense. So, yeah, uh, Ross, anything to add to that one? I've got Ohio State. I mean, it's just it is what it is. I mean, they're, they've got talent like I haven't seen this year. I think they're going to be on a mission, and uh, I think they're going to put it together. They're actually, uh, to go ahead and say it, they're, they're the team I think is going to beat Bama in the national championship. Ooh, interesting. Oh, nice. little sneak preview. I like that. Then, Ross, let's uh, let's go locally here. Let's go Big Twelve Conference. Curious here what uh, what you guys are going to think on that. Who wins the Big Twelve this year? Me first. I got y'all winning. I got OU taking hey. it down. I think I got a great transfer with uh, Dylan Gabriel. He's got a ton of experience. He's going to be able to get, minimize mistakes, keep the turnovers in low. Going against a Big Twelve defense, I mean, it's like going through wet paper. Watch it. Hey. Yeah. No, it's. I mean, it, it is. Hey, we is. play. De- we play defense in this conference now. Hey, I mean, we'll see. Vanderbilt, I think, is he's going to be a guy that could uh, could bring that mentality. I mean, he's, he's got that intense factor to him. So, mm-hmm. I do. I do think. Uh, I do think y'all are going to handle the the Big Twelve relatively with ease. To be honest. Damn, I like it. <laughs> JB is golfing. Hometown podcast. Ross, you can come back on any time. JB, who do you have one in the Big 12? I've got the Baylor Bears winning the Big 12. I'm a big I'm a big Dave Aranda fan. Um, what's that quarterback's name? Uh, Schaefer? Shapin, Blake Shapin. Shapin. Um, he came into the Big 12 championship game, didn't he? I heard the offense kind of opened up. I'm a big, like I said, Dave Aranda fan. I think he's one of the up-and-coming uh, new head coaches in the sport. Um, and I just kind of like what they're about. They don't talk a whole lot about it, but, boy, they're about it. Um, not because I'm in love with them, just because I, I, I like them more than I like anybody else in the conference. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not high on Texas. I think OU will be fine. I, I would anticipate OU playing Baylor in the Big 12 championship game. Um, so certainly anticipate OU having a good year, but uh, I'm going to go with the Bears. 
Walk of the Baylor, Baylor Bears over seven and a half wins for anyone listening there. That's a, that's one I, I really like. Win total seven and a half for Baylor this year. Yeah. Go ahead and take Kansas State over six and a half as well. That's uh, that's going to be easy money. I'm high on K State this year, but yeah, I've got Baylor and OU meeting in the Big Twelve Championship as well. Um, I think Baylor. What's got me so confident in them is one, like you said, it's Dave Aranda. They lost a lot on defense last year, but they've got. Uh, they've got uh, most of their front seven returning. They are going to have to replace Jalen Petrie and Terrell Bernard. They're playing on Sundays. Uh, but, you know, guys, this was a, a Baylor rushing attack last year that was was fantastic. Really, I hate to say it, you know, kind of bullied Oklahoma. All five of their offensive linemen are back this year. Blake Shapin, we'll see what he can do in a full season now that he's the guy in Waco. Uh, but I, I'm going to pick OU. Um, this will be seventh in the last eight years for them to win the Big, to win the Big 12 Conference. I Guys, I usually have a pretty good gauge. I know what to expect of Oklahoma going into a season, but I, to be quite frank, I expectations for me. I have no idea what this team is going to look like on paper. They're the most talented team in the Big Twelve year in and year out, outside of Texas. Maybe um, I'm not sure how many points we're going to score. I'm not sure how good the defense is going to be, but I know one thing: um, the toughness and the physicality is going to be at a whole new level this year with Brent Venables being the head football coach at Oklahoma now. Uh, so give me uh, – I'm going to follow your follow your lead, Ross. Give me OU winning the Big 12. Let's get us to the Pac-12. Don't, don't be worried about y'all scoring points. You got Jeff Levy. Within, Listen. Uh, Ole Miss was the number, what, one and two total offense before y'all took him this year. I mean, he's going to put up points and put some stuff up for y'all that y'all have sadly, th- sadly, I think he'll be in Norman only one year. Unfortunately, he's a head coach in waiting somewhere. It's just a matter of time. Listen. I've got it on very good docs from coaches in the sport. Jeff Levy's the truth, yes. like the truth. So you don't worry about scoring points. You're going to score plenty of points. I'm not as gung-ho on Venables. I think he's been there, done that at OU. I think that, I mean, he had unbelievable talent in just an okay league, in my opinion, at Clemson. Um, I think he'll certainly be an upgrade on the defensive side of the ball. But your worry should not be on offense, in my opinion. You've got skill talent. You've got a quarterback that I think is more than capable. And I think you got an OC that is the man. Yeah. I mean, we'll go as far as Dylan Gabriel can take us, uh, Dylan Gabriel and Jeff Levy, because, I mean, you, if Dylan Gabriel, if he can't stay healthy and we've got to go to a backup quarterback, our season's done um, just because <laughs> just because of what we've got behind him. But yeah, it, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Hopefully we can keep Levy around because, you know, once Venables is able to get his guys in here, if you compare that – uh, Venable's defense with the Jeff Levy offense. Oklahoma is going to be a force to reckon with once we get to the once we get to the SEC. And thankfully, um, I want OU to get to the SEC as quick as possible. But I'm also kind of pumping the brakes a little bit. Let's wait till 2025. Give Venable's a year or two to build this roster up because we're not even close, especially in the trenches with the depth that's needed to uh, take on an SEC schedule week in and week out. So. Um, I hate that we even have to talk about the Pac-12. Nobody, um, nobody, no regular on our podcast gives a shit about the Pac-12. Not many college football fans in America give two shits about the Pac-12. But Ross, um, Dan Lanning's at Oregon. Lincoln Riley's at USC. Who's going to win the Pac-12? Neither one of them are going to win the Pac-12. It's going to be the Utes out of Utah. My man. They, uh, they got a, uh, I mean, they got a different type of defense over there. I mean, it's they got speed. I mean, they the, the recruits they bring in, they're. A lot of no names, a couple four stars here and there, but they go for speed, and that defense flies. Mm-hmm. I've, uh, and that offense always is relatively explosive. But I mean, I think they run their engine runs on that defense, and a defense in the Pac-12 can get you far, to be quite honest. And I, USC's got all the talent in the world, 
let's just see what they can do with it. On you offense. Know, they could win it all, but they also could go seven and five. You never know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've got Utah as well, um, Ross. I mean, for the exact same reason you said. You've got first-year coaches at USC and at Oregon. But when you talk about Cam Rising and Tavion Thomas, you know, that duo in the backfield for the Utes, uh, them being back, uh, we're going to find out real quick uh, about how good Utah is because they go on the road to Gainesville in week one to take on Billy Napier and the Gators. But, yeah, uh, they get Lincoln Riley and USC at home, um, and I think it's going to come down to the November 19th matchup on the road in Eugene. Uh, which I think will be the first of two matchups between Utah and Oregon this year. So give me the Utes. JB's rolling with UCLA. <laughs> no, boys, there's not much more for me to add here. Um, we're chalking it up. We're going Utes. So um, listen, Kyle Whittingham, big fan of him, um, big fan of what he does with not as much talent as the teams he plays week in, week out. So um, and I think they're here to stay. I don't think they're going anywhere. So I'm a big fan of the Utes and certainly have them winning the Pac-12 this year. Well, that gets us to the mighty SEC. And, guys, I want to spend just a couple more minutes on this one before we get to our conference championship picks. Uh, Ross, starting with you, give me a give me your most surprising team in the SEC, somebody that's going to might fare a little bit better than what the experts think. Uh, and then we'll do it on the flip side uh, after all three of us go. Most surprising team. Caught me off guard there. Um, well, I'll tell you what you think about it. I'll, I'll give mine. I'm I'm drinking the Kool-Aid down in Knoxville. I think Josh Heupel's building something pretty good, and they've got 15 starters coming back uh, to go along with a pretty favorable schedule by SEC standards. So they averaged 39 points a year ago. Hinton Hooker's back. Jabari Smith is back at tailback. Um, I, I like Tennessee this year. Maybe uh, they're not going to compete for the East, but I could see them winning eight or nine games. I actually just clicked it. Uh, LSU for me, that was actually something I had in my notes. Uh, I think they filled a lot of spots. Brian Kelly's been a winner, born, uh, born winner everywhere he's been. Don't like the guy, but he wins. Um, and Don't like that Southern I, accent? Yeah, and I mean, you see, they're, they're going with Jaden Daniels. Andrews, though. They got a guy that's going to be explosive back there. Had a ton of hype out of Arizona State. Got himself over to uh, the SEC. I have them as one of our losses actually this year in Death Valley at night. I think uh, I think they're going to win nine games, and uh, I think they're going to be uh, they're going to surprise a lot of people. And uh, he's going to he's going to build something mm-hmm. nice up there. Unfortunately, JB, most surprising team in the SEC for you this year. Ross, I love this one. Mississippi State Bulldogs, Garbage. Garbage. <laughs> fighting pirates. I think they're in year three of the pirate at the helm. I think Will Rogers. Um, is a dude, and I think they have experience back. So I know Ross doesn't like that one, but I think that Mississippi State will beat a couple teams that people aren't expecting. Give them nine wins. Let's flip it over uh, to the most disappointing team um, on the roster this year. I'm actually – I wanted to go with Texas A&M. I'm going to shy away from that for right now. Ross, I've actually got LSU as my most disappointing team. We all thought uh, Miles Brennan was going to be the quarterback. He's walked away from football, we found out this week. So it's a two-man race for the starting job between Jane Daniels and Garrett Nussmeyer. Neither guy has really separated themselves from everything that's came out of Baton Rouge. Um, they got two more scrimmages to go before opening up week one. So um, I know that their defensive line is going to be elite, but when you look at LSU's schedule, I just can't see them winning more than maybe seven games this year. Maybe I'm wrong. But by LSU fan standards, I think that's going to be a disappointing year uh, for Brian Kelly in year one. Got their best receiver back, too, Boudreaux. Boutte. Boutte. Ross, most so do you have an opinion or yeah. <laughs> your biggest disappointing team? 
I mean, you can, you it's going to be unfortunate. It's coming. It's going to be the 8-4 and four Aggies, baby. They're going to hit yeah. their number every single time. QB is not going to live up to the hype. Defense is going to be very, very good with uh, DK Durkin. I think that they're going to be able to win games, but I think they're going to lose the games that they – a lot of games that they're going to be six-and-a-half to ten-point favorites, and they're going to be uh, – they're just gonna. It's just gonna be a, another eight four season in Aggieland. TB, I got a. I got a quick hidden question for you. How many games last year did Texas A and M get above average quarterback play? Uh, well, Alabama for one played the Calzada played the game of his life. Uh, going back at the schedule, I mean, I'd say one, and we beat Bama. So if we get the quarterback yeah. right, I think we have a good year. Yeah, it's the only one I can think of. We'll see. My disappointing team. Sweaty Sam and the Hogs. I think. <laughs> I think that uh, I think the Razorbacks are six and six, boys. Here's what I think. I think that the game in the SEC is Jimmy's and Joe's, not X's and O's. And I think that Arkansas was good last year because they had a lot of experience, a lot of guys with a lot of starts, a lot of SEC football. And I think that we are getting a little ahead of ourselves in the national media when it comes to Arkansas. So. Uh, most disappointing team. Not disappointing to me because I think Arkansas is a six and six program, frankly. But give me the Hogs and Sweaty Sam. I was I was kind of or I'm kind of in the same line of thinking as you are, JB, which is kind of why I was surprised that Jake Crane actually picked uh, Arkansas to go six and two. Awesome. I love their show too. Oh, I got to give them a little bit more. I don't fun. think KJ Jefferson did as well. I think uh, we recruited him pretty highly. Three star to Batesville and. Uh, Played well against us, but had a little bit of a downfall towards the end. I think uh, I don't think he's the guy, and I think he's getting a lot more hype than he deserves. Lost our first round receiver. Lost all their linebackers. Everybody on defense. I mean, I just I don't I don't. It's not as listen. It's not plug and play. It's not as easy as as they think. So yeah, I mean continuity is key. They did they were able to retain you know both coordinators. Um, Jane Hazelwood, receiver sure. from Oklahoma, he came over. We'll see if he can. Uh, and they have a great staff. I mean, I'm, I'm I do like both of their coordinators, and I like I like Coach Pittman for them. I really do. But yeah. I just, like I said, I think Arkansas is a six and six program, in my opinion. All right, we'll close this out here uh, before we get to our picks. I want you both to answer this question: Ross, Ole Miss wins the SEC West if, and do not say, ten Alabama starters get hurt. No, <laughs> I never said that. I think we can beat them if everything goes correctly. But it's going to be all about. Ole Miss is going to surprise a lot of people if these transfers can mesh together and kind of find their identity quick. If they can't, it could it could really really go south quickly. But if these if they can get these first four games get by, um, get by or these first five games with Tulsa get by Kentucky be six and six rolling into that uh, gauntlet of the second half, and they have who they are, they know their identity, they know what can get them wins, and they have the gamers to do it. I really think that they uh, they can make a lot of noise and, and be a dark horse. JB, Texas A&M wins the SEC West if what? Quarterback uh, play? Is that, is that it? No, I mean, I'm going to be a little more realistic than you probably both think. Number one, Texas A&M wins the – did you say SEC? SEC West, I'll say. They get to yeah. Atlanta. They win the SEC West if – they have the second best quarterback in the SEC on the roster. I'm not going to say first because Bryce Young just won the Heisman Trophy. If they have the second best QB in the SEC and if they get a little bit of help. The reason I say that, 
they're going to start a true for, they're going to start a redshirt freshman at left tackle. They're going to start a true sophomore at center and a true sophomore at right tackle. And they lost all four of their starting defensive linemen. So something people aren't really talking about, they're going to have to have a little bit of help and they're going to have to have way above average quarterback play in order to win the West. Well, it's a good thing you recruited 15 five-star defensive linemen in the last cycle. So guess, that what? guess what? They're all babies. So give them time. I'm actually looking at one of my preseason magazines. They've, they've got Shamar Stewart, uh, Walter Nolan, and Anthony Lucas all starting for the Aggies uh, just in their projections. Oh, or, it'll, me, it'll be Fadil Diggs, Tamisha Adelier, Shamar Stewart, and Shamar Turner. So some some definite talent, but yeah, lack of experience. Is it, I'll tell you what, we'll bypass this. Is there anybody Is there anybody on here not picking Alabama to win the SEC? Roll Tide. As in, oh yeah, unfortunate as it is, Bama's going to roll. All right, well, uh, we'll roll through this one real quick. Ross, give me your Heisman Trophy winner. I got Will Anderson from Bama. Fuck, Ooh. I got that one too. Yeah, nice. <laughs> Same page. Same page. Big time. I feel I like think- that's already been set up. I mean, the, he's going to have double-digit stacks. Here's what's interesting in Ross's pick. He picks the Buckeyes to beat the Tide. But he's got a tied defender winning the Heisman, so it's a nice little saucy. It happened. Well, I like that. Will Anderson probably goes number one overall in the NFL draft um, this past year if he was eligible. But I mean, it's just kind of crazy to think. I, I think he's you know he'll he'll push the 15 sack mark. He might be halfway there after the trip to Austin in week two. Uh, but yeah, Will Anderson's a good pick, Ross. I mean, let's talk about how he got absolutely hosed last year. Had totally numbers than Hutchinson, and they sent Hutchinson to the to, – it, it didn't make any sense. Because he was draft eligible. That's it. Yeah. I mean, uh, Sam Williams, our DN, had better uh, – almost better statistical numbers than Aiden, uh, Hutchinson last year. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was all hype, and, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. But I think he's out for a revenge, and, yeah, I mean, that's that's who I got. I got the first, first guy going out there on the defensive side. I think he's going to be a beast this year. I'm sure Hudson Card will get a uh, get a good chance to get up close and personal with him here in a couple Early. of weeks. So, uh, JB, you're not going Will Anderson, are you? I'm not. Are you? Yeah, I've got Will Anderson as well. I'm going to go C.J. Stroud. I have the Buckeyes playing the Tide in the Natty. And uh, here's the thing. I think Will Anderson's a better player than C.J. Stroud. I think Bryce Anderson's a better player. Uh, excuse me, Bryce Young is a better player than um, – than C.J. Stroud. I think it's incredibly hard to win back-to-back Heismans. Um, so that's why I give C.J. the edge. And I also think that, I, listen, people like points and style, and it's just so incredibly hard for a defender to win the Heisman Trophy. I think Will Anderson's the best player in college football, but give my Heisman to C.J. Stroud and the national runner-up Buckeyes. Ross, I've got I've got Alabama winning the national title. Obviously, all three of us have Alabama versus Ohio State. Uh, who else makes do what? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Are, Pretty. Golly. Who? Uh, I've got Utah and Clemson rounding out my playoff four. Our four is chalk. I've got the Utes, the Tigers, the Buckeyes, and the Tide. Well, well, Ross, let's close it out here. One final question to both of you, Ross. Lead us off. No, uh, I have OU in mind. No one wants to hear that. I I don't want to see that. Yeah, I would love to see the Sooners and the Tide meet in the semis. It disgusts me to even say these four because I literally just sound like everyone at ESPN. But I have, uh, 
I actually got Clemson, OU, Bama, and Ohio State, as unfortunate as that is. In that order? Uh, no, it is not. I got uh, Bama, Ohio State, OU, Clemson. And, uh, yeah, then it's the clash of the Titans at the end. You want to play Ohio State in the semis, TB? No, I don't want to play either one of them this year. Which that's kind of a that's a tough spot to be in because you can't win it if you're not in it. But we're not ready yet. I mean, there's give me a New Year's Six. Let me win a New Year's Six. The championship. Give me in the playoffs. I'll get blown out by forty. We've seen it happen before. It's happened plenty of times up here. Yeah. (laughs) So I mean, just give me a chance. All right, close it out. Same question to you both. Ross, start us off. Obviously, OU going to be making the transition to the SEC. Everybody is looking forward to going to Oxford. Outside of just the Grove, what should OU fans see and do when they visit Oxford here in a couple years? There's only one other thing to do. It's go to the square. And when you hit the square, you'll know exactly what happens. So it's really all I can tell you. The food's great there. So, I mean, everywhere you eat in regards to, to that, you're going to have great food. But, I mean, it's the square. And it's the Grove, and that's about all you get, but it's a hell of a time. JB, the first road trip for OU to College Station, I'll be taking off Thursday and Friday, try to sneak on at Marymount, maybe uh, grab a steak at the Republic. Where else should I visit? An OU fan should visit uh, for a weekend in College Station. Man, you're well-traveled. If you can play 18 holes at Marymount, head over to the Republic for a steak. Uh, Christopher's is also a nice spot there. Um Outside of that, man, I mean, just wait till Saturday. I mean, College Station's not Houston or Dallas. It's not going to wow you. Um, there's not a ton to do. But, you know, as an Aggie, you know, people people that haven't been to College Station in a long time, people that haven't seen this new stadium and these new facilities and all that's going on on campus, you know, from an outsider looking in, they're like, man, what is the deal with A&M? You know, and, and then they, they jump to the $30 million thing. Ross can speak to it as well as anybody. That atmosphere is special. No matter what you want to say about Texas A&M, no matter what you want to say about Jimbo Fisher or College Station, Saturday at Cow Field, especially under the lights, 107,000 folks, it is a special, special place. So, um, yeah, just sit back and enjoy I think that's one of the unique parts about college football, and I think that's something that College Station, Oxford, and Norman, you know, kind of have all in common together. There's not a, you know, there's not a tremendous amount of stuff to do. You're not in a Dallas, a Houston, or you know, yeah. a big time area like LA or Miami. But that's when Saturdays in the fall are when those three towns come to life, and you're able to see, uh, you know, you're able to take in the the full amount of what those three cities have to offer. Um, JB, I can't even believe I'm about to say this. OU fans, close your ears. I've been to the new. Stadium in College Station, fantastic. But the loudest and best game day atmosphere I've ever seen was uh, A&M Alabama in 2013. That is the best game. I don't want to say the best game I've ever been to, but the yeah. so just – yeah, I was, at, I was at the game. The, the, 42, we made a crazy comeback at the end, lost by seven. But, man, what do you uh, think? I, I was sitting not, not in the end zone that was open, but I was sitting in the opposite. Is I guess the, the tunnel where the Aggies came out from in the kind of the original Kyle Field. Um, oh, so the, the season wasn't finished yet then? No, because it wasn't it, even finished yet. But okay. that play where I, th- I think it was third and five when Johnny hit Mike for that was well, a 99-yard no, no, touchdown. touchdown. Yeah, they yeah. were on their own run. That's the and that was the yeah. yeah, that's the loudest I've ever heard of stadium. I, just, I still get chills, you know, thinking about that so yeah it's a crazy atmosphere. stadium's one so, of a kind well, at least 
Well, guys, I appreciate both of you hopping on here. Um, you guys are welcome to come on here anytime. I'm glad college football season is upon us. Just a few more days, less than a couple weeks, then we can really kind of get after it in the group chat. But like I said, feel free, you guys are welcome on here anytime on the Mainline Podcast. Uh, Ross Lee, J.B. Moss, thank you, boys. Uh, and we'll look forward to doing it next time. Thanks, TB. Thanks for having us. See you guys.